You're listening to Red Nation Online. You're listening to the Paul James and Soccer Podcast. Commentary and analysis by Paul James, former Canadian soccer player, television analyst, coach, and member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Well, here we are back with episode 33 of the Paul James on Soccer podcast, and it was another busy week in the world of Canadian soccer. The Canadian men's national team will be back in action in November, so let's kick things off with some discussion on that topic. Canada will complete their opening round of World Cup qualifying matches for Brazil 2014 in November, and head coach Stephen Hart announced his roster for the team's two fixtures against St. Kitts and Nevis. While there were a few changes to the squad, the team is, at its core, pretty much the same one that Hart employed against St. Lucia and Puerto Rico last month. Paul, what do you make of the roster, and in your opinion, were there any glaring omissions? Well, I, I think if you look at Ian Hume, but I think there's a reason for uh, why Ian Hume would be that he's been injured, and he's in the recovery process there. I think the biggest one that stands out would be uh, Terry Dunfield. And uh, I know along the way some people have commented that it's uh, just rotating the squad and giving some other players a chance. I mean, obviously, Matt Stinson, who's not there now uh, because he's injured, but he was included, which I thought was a great decision and uh, a reflection on Aaron Vinter with uh, Toronto FC in his uh, development of younger players there. So I think that was good. It's too bad he can't be there. But at the expense of Terry Dunfield, uh, I think that would be the one... uh, a glaring uh, admission aside from that the other decisions were uh, were reasonable in terms of uh, understanding that players are recovering from injuries and so forth and you know I have to say yeah, with with the Terry Dunfield situation you know, the, the writing might be on the wall there for him a little bit you know those uh, those decisions that are made that when you're you're omitted when uh, when you're healthy and fit against weaker opposition, you know, I, I just can't see that that's a good sign in any way, shape or form. And I know people are trying to say that it's, uh, um, that it's just uh, rotating him and giving another younger player a chance, but uh, generally it just doesn't work that way. You know, when, uh, even at, uh, when you play weaker opposition, it's, um, it unfortunately is not a good sign for Terry. I don't know what he's, uh, what he's done wrong. I think along the way, you know, you can see that, uh, the game, in terms of the pace of it, um, has passed him by a little bit. But I still would have thought that he has uh, some value to uh, to see how his career for the next couple of years. But but I might be wrong on that. But uh, that's the uh, that's the one decision that uh, that definitely is glaring for sure. Well, I haven't heard Stephen Hart comment on that specifically, but you know, in my mind, it seems like um, Terry might not have been called called up this time. Uh, due to the inclusion of Patrice Bernier, who's returned to the national team after a year away uh, due to injury. You know, he's a midfielder, and he's a player that both you and I really like. And I'm wondering how important you think it is that he's back, especially given that Atiba Hutchinson is still out with an injury. Yeah, I think it's very important. And, uh, you know, but again, with, with the Terry Dunfield, just to finish off on the Terry Dunfield, I don't think it's, uh, it's a reason why Terry shouldn't be included if he was uh, deemed good enough. And I think that's what's glaring for me is that, uh, you know, along the way, you read the writing on the wall, I think Terry has uh, uh, sort of seen his best days 
with uh, probably the national program and who knows, even the Toronto FC. I really, really hope that, that I'm wrong on that because, as I've said before, I think he's matured. But um, it's a strange decision for me. Um, but having Patrice in is excellent, and uh, Patrice is a, is a you know, terrific uh, character and a great athlete and, a, and a, an experienced player now. So it would be interesting to see how he has recovered from his uh, injury to get him into these kind of games is perfect because they're not as demanding as if you were playing the state or you're playing Mexico, obviously. So, um, so that's a good uh, position for Stephen Hart to be in to bring him in now and to get him back and to give him some uh, some confidence. Because boy, oh boy, will they need uh, Patrice Spurni and Atiba when it comes to uh, the next round. There has been just a little bit of controversy uh, surrounding the national team, you know, over the last couple of weeks with. Um, with a player you wouldn't expect it, Andre Hano. Um, you know, both some national team supporters and Jerry Dobson and Craig Forrest criticized the defender for turning down a call-up to Canada's October World Cup qualifying matches against St. Lucia and Puerto Rico due to his desire to be fully focused on helping his team, the Houston Dynamo, earn a playoff spot. Uh, Stephen Hart has not called him up this time around, and I'm wondering what your take on the situation is, especially given that Hainau has always been a real character guy and a loyal servant of the national team. Yeah, I don't know whether uh, Jerry and Craig would want to take that back, to be honest. I mean, again, it's about uh, a maybe without uh, being patronizing, you know, to either of them. But if you've never coached, you know, you just, uh, you maybe don't grasp when a player has a true character and an honest character. And if they do, then uh, they're not going to turn their back on, uh, on their country. And I don't think Andrew Haino is doing that at all. Uh, in this situation, it's um, you know they, I, I'm sure there was dialogue with Stephen Hart talking about the club. It uh, it was uh, you know a decision that was uh, probably collectively made, and uh, you know push come to shove in a in a crucial World Cup uh, game that uh, that uh, it was uh, Canada were in were in, in desperate need. Uh, Andrew Hayner would uh, would uh, turn up. I'm sure of that. So I'm sure there was uh, flexibility, knowing the uh, the uh, strength of the opposition that was uh, being played. And I think, uh, to be fair to uh, to Andrew Hino, I think he's uh, he's been unfairly criticised. I mean, it wasn't; uh, it was still a storm and a teacup for me. But I, I just can't see that um, uh, that, it, that it's that bad an issue. And I don't think it was it was uh, talked that way. But nevertheless, you know, it's it's again, it's a bit frustrating. You know, you've got uh, we've talked about doing De Rosario. And uh, it seems that people will go to great lengths, some people will go to great lengths to uh, protect uh, some of the behavior there or some of that approach. When, um, and then you have a great character in terms of Andrew Hano. Not that, that even great characters don't make mistakes along the way. I just don't think this, this is a mistake. I think it was, uh, it was warranted, as it is now. Candidates only need to point against uh, one of the weakest teams in the world. Uh, they've got two games where Houston in the semifinal. I mean, it's absolutely flexible and reasonable. Yet, uh, for some reason, maybe we're just hunting for, uh, for news or controversy or t- to try and be critical because we know we need to be critical along the way. But, um, you know, we need to pick the right moments and the right issues to, uh, to, be, uh, to be going after players for. Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, you know, answering the, the call is, is something that's black and white for a lot of people. I think in this situation, you've really hit the nail on the head. You know, if we weren't going to be able to uh, get results in those two games, whether Andre played or not, then I think the Canadian team was in, in really big trouble. 
another way I looked at it is he's you can still classify him as a young developing player. You know, and, and these are, are the type of matches we want our Canadian players to be playing in. You know, do or die games for the playoffs, you know, conference semifinals, conference finals. You know, if there's not a, 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 an opportunity to, to, to leave a player off and let him experience some, some high-pressure games against high-quality opposition, then, um, you know, I think this was it. Yeah, absolutely. I think Steve, you're absolutely right there. I think it's, it's about, uh, you know, maybe we're making too much of these qualifying games. I mean, let's be honest. If for, for us to uh, qualify, for Canada to get through these uh, qualifying games, you know, e- e- even with a, a weakened squad, you should be able to do. If you can't, you might as well uh, forget, you know, even trying to qualify for a World Cup. We had to have got through this preliminary round. And if ever there was a time, therefore, to be flexible with players, with clubs, in, in certain situations they're desperate, this was the time. And, um, and so Andre Hano there, I thought, is... Uh, you know, it was fine. It's very reasonable to uh, to be playing for Houston now in the uh, semifinals of the MLS Cup, and um, and you know, and therefore, and therefore, I think it was a, a storm in a teacup, as I said earlier on. Now, as you've mentioned already, Canada needs only a single point in their final two World Cup qualifying matches, you know, in this second round to win win their group and move on to the next round. You know, given that, from a perception standpoint. How important is it that the team wins both games and that it looks fairly dominant doing so? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think it's very important that they win both games and they uh, perform well. And there is no hiding place, you know, and uh, I referred to it last week, in the modern-day world of of media coverage and uh, the amount of blogs and the amount of uh, opinions and comments. There's no hiding place, even when you play uh, the, the weaker opposition. Therefore, you still have to play well. And uh, they didn't, uh, in their last game against Puerto Rico, tie 0-0 for performance. So I think they need to improve on that against uh, what looks like weaker opposition uh, in St. Kitts anyway. So, yeah, it's, it's important, I think, also the momentum uh, to, uh, to build in confidence. Because if you've got a poor result in either of these two games, again, it's, uh, the question marks, marks will be asked. And, um, and uh, you know, I think that Stephen Hart will will feel vulnerable in those kind of situations. It's not always easy with, uh, with uh, qualifying games when you're against the, uh, the weaker opposition, but you have to find a way through, and really Canada should be dominating them anyway, so that's the important issue. Now looking at uh, Toronto FC, the offseason continued for TFC this week. Um, you know, the players have, are taking some time off and resting, but it was still a fairly eventful week for the Reds. In a move that surprised some people, word came out last week that a couple of young players in Demetrius Umfroy and Matt Gold will be released by TFC. Both are NCAA products and are 23 and 22-year-olds, respectively. Red Nation writer Armin Badakian wrote a piece this week that went into depth on Aaron Vinter's philosophical move away from depending on players drafted from the college system to the academy being the main pipeline for players for Toronto FC. And he highlighted the fact that this approach will allow him to really mold players specifically for his exact 4-3-3 tactical approach. Do you think it makes sense to go all out with this type of approach, or is there a happy medium in terms of leveraging both sources of talent? Well, I think, the uh, first of all, you've got the North American model that has been based uh, around collegiate players. So I think you have to be respectful for that. Clearly, Aaron Vinter, when he came in, has tried to apply... Uh, the European model in uh, in North America, 
and, uh, and I think it's going to take time for him to be able to do that, and there's going to be some issues that he's just not going to be able to change, i.e. having reporters into the changing room, which I actually liked the fact that he didn't want that, and I definitely understand uh, where, that would, uh, where that would come from. But he wasn't able to uh, pull that off because it is the North American sporting culture. And I think it's the same with the, uh, with the collegiate system, is that uh, for, for those two players, it didn't work out, but there's a number of players in, this, in the collegiate system that go into MLS and, uh, and uh, do a good job and, and have a good career. And I think if, if there wasn't the collegiate system, where would the players come from in the numbers that you need to, uh, to be able to stack uh, 20 teams? Now, in an ideal world, uh, the academy system that he's talking about, and uh, this would be a real strength of the uh, of Vinter uh, and, and Bob de Klerk, would be to come in and to set up the academy in the right way and to talk uh, about those issues, about how they want to develop uh, players in a certain way and in a certain system. And that's definitely going to be their strength because he has lived it, and uh, he that was what developed him. So he's going to be so passionate for that. But there is. Uh, you know, so I get that part, but there is some definite uh, issues along the way, and I think that is one is the recognizing that you still need the bulk of uh, players right now come from the collegiate system. You have to be respectful of that. And the other issue is, well, there's a couple of issues, but the one issue that I think is really important is the fact of, uh, you know, how these players get compensated over time. And, you know, to sacrifice, like in Europe, younger players sacrificing when there's uh, huge carrots at the end for many of them in terms of their uh, financial compensation. But in the MLS, it's just not there. I mean, feasibly, a player could come through and make uh, you know, 40000 60000 70000 And over a career, it's not a lot of money. And so, you know, and, and on a numbers basis, uh, the majority won't make it anyway or won't go through and play. There's only going to be three or four. So there has to be uh, that way of, of, of contributing to the university system so that they get uh, an education. And this is where, I, you know, again, through innovative thinking, there needs to be, uh, for Toronto FC and Vancouver and Montreal, there needs to be uh, a way uh, to connect to the CIS and to, uh, and to find the right model, to find the right way of uh, channeling players, you know, either way to, uh, you know, to assist and help. Because the bottom line is, if you have Canadian players that go into a, an academy system and their education isn't uh, thought about, then uh, there's going to be repercussions down the road. You know, you've even got some Canadian players now that are playing over in Europe and they're sort of, of a, sort of a chase the dream for, uh, for five, ten years at a financial, you know, burden almost. And uh, you know, and now they're faced at uh, being 32 and 33, don't really have an education. And, uh, and so we're stuck, and where do they go? And I think that's the one thing you want to avoid in the North American system, because it's poorly compensated for the majority of players, is that they have to have a backup plan. You know, and it's okay for supporters to say, well, yeah, I mean, but you know, it's the glamour, I mean, it would give you a right arm to go play it uh, in front of crowds. Well, that's all well and good, but if you haven't lived it, and, uh, and then you are 30 and you don't have an education or not prepared for another job, and it creates some uh, some issues for sure. I mean, it, it creates issues for hockey players that have made millions over the years. So what would that do to, uh, to soccer players themselves? So I think it needs to be integrated with that. As far as the system itself goes, and the philosophy of creating the uh, um, you know players in a certain way. I mean, modern day football. 
is is really about players that can go in and be able to compete and play uh, in any system. It really is about developing the technical ability, the tactical awareness of uh, of the game, and then uh, with a good attitude and good characters. That's what I really like about these guys. Look at the three young guys they brought in and used: Ashton Morgan, uh, Stinson, and uh, Henry. And uh, all three of them stand out as great characters. And look at the ones that you players that they've let go you know clearly there was uh, there was a character issue with those so I like that part and then the other issue is the physical aspect you know are they good athletes so those four components the technical tactical and the uh, the mentality the psychological part and the athleticism you know no matter where you go in the world those have to be developed uh, once they're developed properly you uh, you can really get those players to play in any system that uh, that you want, and um, and I think that's the important message to always remember when you're dealing with uh, with the developments of uh, of players. Now, clearly, you know the four four, uh, sorry, the four three uh, three system is a very specific way in how he wants to play it. So there's for sure going to be a benefit by relaying that throughout the club and in uh, all the youth teams and so forth. It's like a well-oiled machine, but you can still go. You know, a player can play in four four two system all his uh, his career for like five or six years even ten years and then go play 4-3-3 and would still be able to adapt if they have those four components have been developed uh, properly and professionally at the uh, at an early age in following discussion on the release of gold and umfrey over the last few days i came upon an interesting comment by former red nation columnist jeremy loom on a discussion board he stated that players developed in the college system are sometimes less adaptable to being cogs in a system of, of interchangeable positions. And he highlighted Jacob Peterson and Alan Gordon, who made negative comments about the new approach at TFC after they were traded, as players who see the game as something that should be played the one way they trained to play it at the collegiate level. Similarly, in the fantastic book on Dutch soccer, Billion Orange, there was a passage on a particular Dutch player who went to Ipswich and had a tough time adapting to the English brand of football. I'm curious what your thoughts are on Loom's comment and I'm wondering if you think there's a cutoff age by which a player might be more set in his ways and unable to adapt to a very different approach to playing the game. Well, I think, you know, Steve, first of all, you're talking about isolated uh, um, instances there with the two players, uh, Gordon and Peterson. First of all, there's an attitude problem uh, with those two when they come out and say those things. And, and I have to say this. I mean, if, if you know about the collegiate uh, game uh, in the United States in particular, I mean, you're looking at uh, hundreds of thousands of, uh, of uh, programs, you know, across the nation. I can tell you right now, you come across, you know, every single approach of playing the game, uh, tactically, formation-wise, system-wise, you, you, you encounter it. And so, therefore, the development of collegiate players is at the level that it is, which is not professional, but it's still very good. And so, you know, I would, I would disagree with, uh, with the fact that those players would say, that, um, that they are, you know, they're developed in a certain way. If you're, it depends what college that you go to, but you encounter just about everything. So you get a good grooming in terms of what it is to play in, um, in a system. I would, I would say that that is a, is a character and attitude uh, issue with those two. And as far as isolating one player, I mean, The Brilliant Honest is a great book. And, uh, and you, again, you isolate one player and you take him over and play in England. The thing about playing in England is, is that it, the, the pace and the physical aspect is uh, is frightening, and that's where uh, most players will will fail. 
But aside from that, you know, I mean, you still get the European, aside from that one player, I should say, you still get uh, plenty of Dutch players that could uh, go into England and have gone into England, even way back with Franz Tyson, uh, you know, way back in the late 70s, uh, that uh, were fantastic in England. And so it really is about uh, the player. It's about the quality of player, whether they can play, and when they've been developed in all those aspects. Again, the physical aspect would be important to be able to compete and play in England, as well as the psychological, because the, the fans are just on top of you and are crazy in many ways. And so you have to be able to deal with that. So, um, you know, it really is uh, it's a, it's a good issue to discuss, but those are my thoughts. You know, I think if, uh, if a player is uh, developed in the right way at an early age and uh, focusing on those uh, important issues, then they should be able to go uh, into any market and any uh, soccer culture and be able to compete and be able to compete well. You know, there's a lot that can't, but at the end of the day, when you really want to boil it down, it's because they're not good enough. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially in the case of Alan Gordon. You know, I wouldn't classify him at all as someone who didn't thrive within Aaron Venter's system. Certainly, he, he had his injury problems, but I think, uh, you know, in some matches, it looked like he was, uh, you know, perfectly fit for the role and, and, and played some of the best MLS football of his career. Exactly. Well, it's, you know, and again, it's about adversity. You know, you, you really know uh, a person's character when uh, they face adversity and how they, uh, how they deal with it. And, Alan Gordon and uh, Jacob Peterson, who I thought were quite good, at, to be honest, when I saw them here. But uh, clearly I'm not around uh, to have uh, seen them day to day. But uh, it's what I like about Aaron Vinter. There's uh, no flies on him, for sure. I mean, you look at the, the uh, academy players he's got rid of and moved out. You look at the, uh, the players he's traded, and there's, uh, including Nana, unfortunately. But um, Nana Atacora, that is. But you, you move those players out, and uh, and the character question marks are the, the biggest reasons. Well, interesting that Nana's brought up. Nana's uh, being called up for the national team, so we'll see how he does. The, you know, over the next week or, week or two, and you know, playing well, for and Canada. Say, absolutely, and I would say this is that Nana's under pressure, whether he knows it or feels it. But uh, if I was uh, mentoring Nana, I would say, you know, you really got to play here. Like your life depends on it. First of all. And second of all is you've got to really have a great approach and know what it is to have a great uh, professional approach all the time and don't get sucked into negativity and avoid uh, players or people that, um, that have that approach. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't want to see him doing well. So, you know, hopefully we'll see that from him over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. You know, also on the topic of Toronto FC, Aaron Vinter and Earl Cochran held a session with the media last Wednesday to discuss Toronto's move into the knockout stage of the CONCACAF Champions League. Well, we don't know the exact opponent yet, we do know TFC will face off against one of the LA Galaxy, Santos Laguna, or defending champions Monterey in March. Vinter stated that he does not have a particular preference as to which opponent the team will play, but I'm wondering if you think one of those three might provide Toronto with a better chance of moving on to the semifinals of the tournament. Yeah, oh well, for sure, it'd be LA. Uh, for me, I mean, the, the bottom line is all three of those teams are going to be very difficult and, uh, you know, very, very interesting contest, that's for sure, but very difficult. Um, but I would definitely, if I was Aaron Vincent, want to play, uh, want to play LA, as difficult as that would be going away. And there's uh, two reasons. One is the familiarity already with them, and they've done quite well against LA over the years, to be fair. So there's a familiarity with it. You uh, play them at uh, home in uh, 
favorable conditions and then you go down to LA, it'd be a little bit difficult, but not as difficult as playing in Mexico. When you don't have to play a Mexican team, uh, then uh, that, that would be good. So um, that would be my thoughts on that. You go down there, it's really difficult environment. There's going to be altitude. There's going to be uh, excessive heat. Uh, and it's just, it's just so much different. So I would say that um, to go into uh, LA or to compete against LA would be the uh, favorable one. And, and I would say that they would have a chance, to be honest. You know, um, if they uh, improve and develop uh, uh, a little bit with their, uh, with their system of players in, uh, in key areas, which we obviously know are at the back and in uh, central midfield, but if they can, you know, develop that a little bit, then, um, yeah, they would have a chance against uh, LA, I believe. And so that would be the choice. Yeah, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it's L.A. as well. And, you know, just speculating that if, um, you know, L.A. can break through and win the MLS Cup, I'm just wondering, do you think, you know, in all professional sports, there seems to be that little bit of a hangover after a team's won a championship, that that might be the time for uh, Toronto FC to go up and play them. What do you think? Yeah, no, definitely not with Bruce Arena. He has no hangovers. He's no mug. And so, um, you know, and, and again, they've got real professionals there. You know, David Beckham, if he's uh, still around, which I believe he will be. You've got Bobby Keane and you've got Landon Donovan. I think they will know and they will get, in terms of uh, the feel, they'll start smelling the fact that they can get towards a club championship. It'll be, uh, it'll be uh, you know, really, really important for them and they'll be really motivated to get through. So I don't think there'll be any complacency. And so, you know, again, so as I say that, you can see that uh, the game, no matter what for Toronto FC, is going to be difficult. But, um, but that would be their best chance, in, uh, in my opinion. Now, given that the home fixture in that two-game series will be played in Toronto in March, Earl Cochran stated that the team is still trying to determine where the game will be played, either at BMO Field or under the retractable roof at the Rogers Centre. With the still vivid memories of 55,000 fans filling Olympic Stadium to cheer on the Montreal Impact, when they made it to the knockout round of the Champions League back in 2009. I'm curious where you think the game should be played. Uh, I, just, uh, I, I just can't see that, uh, that you uh, can take the risk of playing it uh, at BMO Field you know, at uh, that time of the year. So I would say Rogers Centre is uh, something that they should uh, solidify. And uh, no matter who they play, I could see you getting a huge crowd at that time of the year. I mean, obviously, if it was LA and Beckham was in town, then... Uh, Boy, they could promote that, uh, you know, in the biggest way. I think it would be, uh, you know, a terrific occasion for uh, for uh, Canadian soccer again, and particularly for Toronto FC. I mean, that's that that has to be the uh, number one choice in uh, in my opinion. Even if it's uh, even if it costs them, you know, to bring in uh, the grass that they need to bring in, or to do whatever they need to to make that uh, feasible, then um, then that, that would be what I would choose, and it would be exciting to be quite honest. And great uh, marketing again for the team, you know, as opposed to getting twenty thousand. If they were to get thirty, forty thousand in there, that would be uh, that would be fantastic. And I think that would, uh, you know, that would um, serve its purpose as uh, trying to get that result. My last TFC item for this week is actually something I wanted to ask you last week and neglected to do so. At Toronto's end-of-the-season uh, media session, Aaron Vinter stated that apart from going home to the Netherlands to spend a few days with his family over the Christmas holidays, he will be spending the entire off-season in Toronto. Now, given all the challenges that TFC have in front of them, how important is it that he's doing that, and what does it say about his dedication to making his vision a success? Yeah, I think it says a lot. I think it's, uh, it's the way it should be, Steve, to be honest. I mean, um, I'm sure he's making a good salary. 
and uh, when you make a good signing for a club, you have to be in that city and have to work. You can't see them taking the uh, the off season, uh, you know, on a vacation. So, you know, I think it's um, it's necessary, it's logical, but I do feel that uh, he's very passionate about uh, staying in this city and, and about the club, and he's uh, got a vision, and he's going to see it through at least for the uh, the three or four years of his contract. So. Yeah, I, I, as I said, Steve, without flogging it to death, I like Aaron Binto a lot. And I think that, um, you know, to be fair to the club, MLSE and Tom Army and Jurgen Klinsmann, who they got as a consultant, I think they've done a good job there. You know, again, nothing changes with my read. He's doing all the right things from uh, what I can see, and, um, and that's positive. And it, and it is great that, um, you know, that he comes out and says, you're going to spend a few days in Holland, and then he's coming coming back. I mean, it's a busy, busy calendar year, and when you're in the, on the football roundabout at that high level, you know, you're really, uh, you're really in, in deep as far as your commitment, because if you take your eye off the ball, and again, with no disrespect to Mo Johnson, but clearly, he had a different approach with uh, how to go about things, and uh, you just don't accomplish anything in life without uh, rolling up your sleeves and putting in the hours, and putting in the grind. If I look at David Moyes in Everton, you know, uh, he was uh, talking about working uh, 80, uh, 80 hours a week, you know, for 11 months of the year. I mean, that's uh, phenomenal. It's too much, really. But, um, but that's what you need to do if you really want to get there. Out west, new Vancouver Whitecaps head coach Martin Rennie held his first off-season training camp and has begun assessing the current group of players on the squad. Rennie has been clear that he's going to make significant changes to the team, and I doubt anyone would expect anything less given where the Whitecaps finished in the standings in 2011. It's extremely early, but I'm wondering what your early impressions are of Rennie and his approach. Yeah, I like him. I think he's, uh, he uh, speaks well. I think he's got a good vision. And uh, I think he's right that he needs to make uh, significant changes. But the problem, you know, clearly is going to be where you get them from, where you get those players from. But, uh, you know, to... Uh, as a rebuttal to that, I suppose, from his perspective is because he's worked in the lower tiers of the professional game, then he's going to be well-networked and uh, have, a real, uh, have a real eye for uh, which players can be able to compete uh, for him and which uh, would do a good job in the MLS. I'm sure of that. I'm sure he's well-connected because he's a likable guy and, um, and he's been successful, so he has credibility. So I would say that, that, um, that they're off to a good start so far um, and, uh, and I'll be interested to see the, uh, the, the new players that he brings in. I know he's signing some of the ones already there, but um, I'm interested to see what uh, new players he brings in. Yeah, interestingly, the first player that Vancouver has chosen to re-sign for next year is striker Atiba Harris, who missed most of the 2011 season due to injury. I thought Harris looked good early on last season when he paired up with Eric Hasley to give the team two big physical forwards up top. What do you think of the Whitecaps' decision to resign Harris, and do you think the move provides any hint as to the style of play that the team will deliver under a Scotsman like Rennie? No, that's that last point. Not necessarily. I think the, uh, but I think it's a good signing. I really liked him, and I know after speaking to uh, to some of the coaches, I think uh, Tommy Sohn and to Colin, that uh, you know they were really down about uh, the fact that he got injured and was out for the season, because he did look uh, very useful up front and. Um, Know, a good target player, good athlete, uh, and uh, worked well with Hasley. So they really, really missed him, and uh, it looks and it, it, it looked exciting at the beginning of the season, as we said. So, you know, that's a good uh, 
that's a good decision from what uh, I can see, uh, but he's going to need an awful lot more than that. I think the main uh, issues are going to be at the back, as we've talked about so many times. So uh, as soon as he gets that sorted out, they can feel uh, more confident. Vancouver-based writer Martin McMahon wrote an interesting piece on the Whitecaps' leading goal scorer, Camilo, last week. Apparently, the Brazilian made $133,000 in 2011, and there are already significant bids for the player being made from both within North America and outside of it. Um, you know, in our final question for this week's podcast, I'd like to sort of, you know, in a similar vein to what we talked about on last week's podcast with uh, Toronto needing to uh, retain Plata, I'm curious what your thoughts are with respect to the importance of Vancouver bringing back Camilo in 2012. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's an obvious uh, answer to that, uh, Steve. It's uh, you know, really important. He's a terrific player. He's got a great attitude. He works really hard. You know, we uh, compare him to David uh, Giamento, but uh, you know, there always just seems to be that uh, laboured approach when uh, when he's defending or. or a lack of willingness to be able to do that. So you don't see that in Camillo. I think he does uh, a great uh, job uh, on and off the ball there. So, you know, I think they have to keep him. He's a, he's a game-breaker in many ways. Uh, I think he could have scored even more goals if he was uh, able to penetrate with that extra bit of pace. But uh, overall, he's uh, a must-keep in my eyes. But uh, that seems like, with the interest from other areas, it uh, won't be quite so uh, straightforward. I would say it was a gem for $133,000. They're probably going to have to up that significantly, probably double it, to uh, make sure they keep him in the long term. So, uh, you know, it's really interesting about how they go about that. You know, it's all about business decisions as well as footballing decisions. And um, they need to make sure they make the uh, right one with, uh, with Camillo because he'd be hard to re- replace. You know, when you have a player, I, I, looking over the last five years, it seems that when teams have... Uh, you know, have a, a good player, and uh, yet is uh, medium of the range in terms of the salary. That uh, they tend to sometimes be prepared to let them go, but then they can't find a replacement. And I've seen that a number of times with uh, Toronto FC of uh, let some good players go, and they just haven't been able to replace them with the right ones. So with Camilo, I would definitely uh, look to keep them. That's for sure. If you have questions that you'd like Paul to address please send your email to pauljames at rednationonline.ca.